everybody. Welcome to the Pick 6 Podcast. Happy Wednesday. If you're, uh, maybe it's Tuesday if you're watching this. I don't know what time it goes up on YouTube, but we are on YouTube for the Brady Quinn Football Show! Go ahead, Ryan. What do you got? Yo, yo, yo. <laughs> uh, man, what an exciting day. Uh, we love being on YouTube. People are very, people are very excited about the YouTube thing. I think got a lot of views. That's cool. Uh, if you want to watch it, go to youtube.com slash CBS sports. It'll be up there. You'll see, uh, Brady's handsome face, Ryan wearing earphones, me wearing a pick six podcast shirt that looks kind of terrible since there's all this pick six stuff around us, but whatever. Um, you can also just listen to it on your phone, however you download. And if you do download and you use Apple Podcasts, please rate us five star and write a nice review. Um, if you write a review and we get above 500, I'm told we will bypass circumvent, if you will, uh, legal and just give away some stuff. So there's that. <laughs> <laughs> That's how we roll around here. Um, we don't like to wait till week five or six to do the smart thing. We're like the Giants, Brady. Week three, we're pulling the trigger. We're getting Daniel Jones in there. My question to you is, what took so long? Well, you had to play a couple of games, I think, to do the right thing for Eli Manning and see what you had and give him one last shot. Uh, but the running was on the wall when they decided to take Daniel Jones as high in the draft as they did. You know, I, I think if they would have waited and taken him a little bit later in the draft because they did have, what, two first-round picks uh, or three, if I'm not mistaken, right, between uh, Baker and obviously the defensive lineman out of uh, uh, Clemson. You know, if they would have taken him, you know, as as last in those three picks, maybe you could make the case that you know there's not a, a pressing reason to put him in the game. But so far, he's been everything as advertised or as they had hoped, based on how he looked in preseason and training camp. And uh, I just I think at this point, if you're the New York Giants, you may not be mathematically eliminated, but we know that you have a 12.6 percent chance since 1990 being 0 and 2 and making it in the playoffs. So. If you want to try to save the season, if you want to see what you have in your rookie quarterback or just move on to the future, um, you, you got to take the opportunity to do that now. And, and it, it makes sense from that standpoint, but you know, it's, it's obviously going to be tough with a lot of Giants fans moving on from a quarterback who helped them win two Super Bowls. I think they go from 0% chance of making the playoffs to probably around 12 or 15% with Daniel Jones moving on from Eli Manning. And the thing I keep coming back to is, is why was Eli given another opportunity? And I know Brady that you thought, he played better than a lot of people thought he did last year. But if you're drafting Daniel Jones six overall, I think it's time to move on from the moment you draft him six overall. We heard Gettleman talk about maybe uh, we'll do the Aaron Rodgers plan with him. That clearly didn't happen. Of course, Dave Gettleman also said we're not going to trade Odell Beckham. And if anyone could use Odell Beckham right now, it's uh, the quarterback there that they're going to replace him with, Daniel Jones. So the question becomes, what do, make, what do you make of this team? Are they going to get better this year with the players they have around them? Because offensively, they are not very good outside of Saquon Barkley. And I think what you have to do is lean on Saquon, but don't run him to the ground. And that's a fine line to walk. And then hope Daniel Jones progresses as the season goes. I think he'll be fine, but I just don't know why you had to play two games with Eli, knowing that this is the same Eli Manning who got benched for Geno Smith. There's a couple Mm, reasons, though, why I think, though, you know, you want to at least have him see what it's like to game plan to prepare the adjustments during the course of the regular season. You know, the regular season is very different from the preseason. And it's not like the season is still a waste. You still have an opportunity to get back into things. Um, and, and, you know, so I, I think there's some value there early on of not putting Daniel Jones in a position where he doesn't see some of the changes that occurred in the course of 
the regular season or how you game plan during the course of the regular season versus the preseason. So there is an education there that uh, I'm sure Daniel Jones is kind of taken in and now has a little better idea going into week three as far as what he can expect. Uh, and we also should note, even though Eli Manning hasn't played well in the first two weeks, you know he's not the reason necessarily why they're 0-2. Um, their offensive line has not played particularly well. Their defense is awful. And look, they're, they're missing Golden Tate at the wide receiver position. He'll come eventually back from his suspension. They're banged up there as well. And so they're a little bit void of talent on the outside. So even with Daniel Jones coming back, I think the one thing he brings is his athleticism and his ability to take off and make something with his legs, which I do think is a necessity now at the NFL level. Uh, at this point in time, given how athletic these pass rushers are. And then if you're on a team with a struggling offensive line, it makes sense. So um, maybe it'll help him out or help their team out a little bit in that respect because of Daniel Jones' athleticism. But it's not like this team just all of a sudden got better out around him. He's still going to have his work cut out for him. Yeah, I mean, by the way, can we? Can we? is it possible to bring up both the picture of Eli and Daniel Jones is down there? I mean, like, I don't want to make fun of it because God knows I'm the last guy that make fun of a doofy-looking white guy. But I mean, these, these, actually, you know what? These guys might be my spirit animals. I, don't I was just going to say, you, you guys all look three the same. You're like, you look yeah, like, like the same person. Like if, if, if I walked into a bar and Daniel Jones and Eli Manning were there, they'd be like, what's up, bro? Like, I, I don't know who you are, but you, you sure belong with us. Come on over. White <laughs> guy. Um, Daniel Jones, I don't know if I want to zoom in on that picture. It looked a little, uh, looked a little wonky, if you will. I thought, you know, what was interesting is thinking back on 2004, you know, the, that, that's when Eli Manning was drafted, of course. Well, he's drafted by the Chargers, traded the Giants, as someone reminded me on Twitter. Um, and he actually didn't even come in, in until much later in the season to replace Kurt Warner. Uh, I believe it was in week nine, excuse me, week, no, it was week 11 and the Giants were actually five and five and they're still lingering on the playoff race. They're not lingering, but at least, you know, they're, they're at 500. This feels much more, like a like an admission of a mistake by Dave Gettleman that maybe we shouldn't have paid that bonus to Eli, maybe we shouldn't have spent all off season hyping up Eli, or 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 is it possible Brady that it, it's more of a, you know what Daniel Jones is good and we can roll with him. I, I tend to think the offensive line hasn't gelled the way they thought it would. They don't have the weapons at wide receiver, and like this week against Tampa Bay, right? I mean I know Tampa Bay is not a great defense, but Todd Bowles is going to bring the heat. He's going to blitz a crap. Ton, and they're going to need somebody who can be mobile because otherwise he's just going to stand back there and get destroyed. And that plays into Daniel Jones' strengths at least. Right. Well, I don't know about staying back there and getting destroyed plays into his strengths. I mean, that'd be like, <laughs> I mean, like, like going back to his days at Duke. Pressure pumps. Right. I mean, he could run. They can they can boot him out on the side and let him and let him look down the field, or you know, at least he'll. I don't know. Like Eli Manning just always crumples, like you know, very sadly whenever he gets pressured. Look, I think you could have some running game where you've got the ability for him to keep the football in the zone read game, or even maybe some design quarterback runs. And what people have to understand is that really does put pressure on defenses now to have to account for the quarterback. So it helps your blocking scheme, it helps your running back, and it forces defenses to simplify a little bit because. If you just do it a few times, like take an example of what we're seeing from Baltimore, and granted, Daniel Jones isn't Lamar Jackson, but they only have to introduce or put in a few quarterback design runs or a few zone reads or even triple option plays, and it scares the hell out of every defensive coordinator, and it simplifies what they could do because on any given play, they can implement something like that, and all of a sudden, you're not accounting for the quarterback and ends up being a big game that at least flips the field position and that helps put uh, points on the board. So... Um, even if they implement a little bit of that, 
you know, it, it might scare Todd Bowles and the Tampa Bay Bucks or whatever team comes afterwards uh, into you know realizing that they're going to have to uh, address this team differently than what they how they would address them previously if Eli Manning was the quarterback. But you're right. I mean, it, look, there's no tough you know spot uh, or soft spot in the schedule to to really insert him in there and expect to get uh, a high level of play. Tampa Bay's defense has been really improved so far this year. We'll see what they do this week. Uh, either way. They, it's, you know, they might as well get this started sooner rather than later. I think we've seen in recent years, quarterbacks drafted as high as he was in the first round, you know, tend to be inserted into the lineup and, and play so this team can see what they have in them. And there's obviously no, no, uh, replacement for experience. And that's obviously going to be a big piece of this. But Tampa Bay, Washington, that's probably the easier portion of their schedule. I mean, it doesn't get any easier once they start going, you know, have to play Minnesota, New England in week five and six. So probably makes sense if you're going to do it to go ahead and do it now otherwise you'd be waiting a long time for that bye week come week 11 hey brady you talked about having patience with daniel jones and that makes some sense given uh the the sort of blueprint game plan they laid out for Eli Manning back in 2004 back in 2007 go back with me uh the last time the bear the, the browns had a winning record i think Derek anderson was the starter some young kid out of notre dame named brady quinn was a first round pick do you feel like, based on what you just said about Daniel Jones, that you could have played that year, or was it in your best yeah. interest to sit? No, I, I think it was in my best interest maybe to sit and kind of see how it was done. But we're also talking about you know who I was playing behind. It wasn't like um, this is a guy who's won two Super Bowls, been a Super Bowl MVP, you know, or when Aaron Rodgers sat behind um, Brett Favre and, and was able to kind of sit and learn, or even Patrick Mahomes behind Alex Smith. A little different, you know, a little different situation in that case. You know, Derek was competing with Charlie Fry. Um, to have the starting job. He didn't even start the season as a starting quarterback. So, um, you know, that season would have made more sense, in my opinion, to put me in, let me play, especially as well as we were playing that year. Uh, and what Rob Chazinski, our offensive coordinator, was dialing up. Um, so, you know, it didn't work out that way for me. And, and I think, you know, what became of a, a good season for Cleveland, you know, winning 10 games, but not making it to the playoffs ended up creating us, you know, the following season, uh, a little bit of indecision as far as what they wanted to do. And I think, you know, with how they handled it, keeping us both there, honestly, probably left us with a little more fuzzy vision moving forward, as opposed to to moving on, trading him, or or even trading me for that matter, and then figuring out a more clear path for what the, what they wanted to do at the quarterback position. What's the over under for wins now that Daniel Jones is in there? Zero and two moving forward. So I mean, I mean, I guess over the course of the season, but obviously you only get fourteen games. They were five and a half before. I mean, <laughs> I just think the problem is. This roster's not good, and I'm not sure. Three and a half is probably a fair number, right? Okay. Is it is it easier to sell? Do you think um, being a four and twelve team when you have a rookie quarterback than it is when you're like trotting out a a guy who looks like a a dead wet noodle? Yeah, but I mean, that doesn't save their job. I mean, how many times have we seen that, right? I mean, didn't they try that in Chicago when John Fox was there? Was Mitchell Trubisky didn't save his job? Didn't save Jeff Fisher's when they put Jared Goff in? Tried it in New York with Geno, he got, got fired too. Yeah, I mean, you can go through a bunch of different circumstances where you know you, you even insert the guy later on in the year and say, oh, well, we started a rookie for the second half of the year. Doesn't matter. I mean, those coaches still got fired, so uh, I don't necessarily know that this you know saves Pat Shermer if they have a bad season and all of a sudden the ownership wants to go in a different direction. By the way, the Giants are now the Jets. They fire somebody every couple of years. Uh, what do you think Eli Manning does? Because my sense of it is that, I mean. Either he's going to want to be traded now and try to go do something this year, or he's going to stay in New York in sort of a, 
uh, Jalen Hurts style role with uh, Tua, right? Maybe that's a maybe that's a decent fit when when Jalen Hurts had to come in and save the day in the in the uh, in the SEC championship game a couple years ago. Maybe maybe that maybe that's sort of the the comp here. He's gonna stay in New York. He's gonna he's gonna try and be a good mentor and a, and a good guy behind uh, behind Daniel Jones, and then, he, and then he's gonna bounce this offseason either to retirement or uh, maybe to to another job. Um, do you do you think Brady that he? I mean, what, what do you think? What, what, where, where do you go from here if you're Eli Manning? Because it is awkward to be the one of the Mount Rushmore guys of that franchise. It's in Kurt Warner. They're sitting down. It's Eli freaking Manning. Uh, as much as we may debate whether or not he's a Hall of Famer, he's still one of the greatest Giants of all time. And so sitting there watching Daniel Jones having the cameras zoom in on him every week is kind of awkward, right? Yeah, of course it's awkward. And, and that's where, you know, Eli's got to figure out how he feels in his heart as a competitor. And if he wants to try to continue on and want to go somewhere else, you know, maybe Pittsburgh would be willing to bring him in for a year or, you know, the Jacksonville, whether Tom Coughlin's down there right now. So maybe it makes some sense from that standpoint because they're playing with a backup in Gardner Minshew or and any other situation like that in the league. Uh, but he's got a family and he also has to think about that. And if he wants to go that route in his career and be remembered as a giant or does he want to have this, you know, other small stint or short stint with another team. And the other thing is, is, you know, is that, what, is, is that what's best for him from, um, you know, a performance standpoint? It might take him a week or two just to even get entrenched enough in the offense to be able to execute it in an actual game scenario. So does he really want to do that? Um, so I think he's got a tough decision to make. This guy's handled everything with such class though. Like I wouldn't be surprised at all if he just didn't kind of ride this season off. The Giants know that like he's probably their best insurance policy because as much as they want to see what they have in Daniel Jones, they know what with that athleticism comes a chance that he could get hurt or with the inexperience, he could get hurt going out there not knowing what he's doing against defenses he hasn't seen before. So if all of a sudden he ends up getting knocked out of a game, you traded him away because you're building for the future, you know, then you're really hurting yourself or your chances of being able to be competitive in football games if that still matters to you. And I think it does to some degree, obviously, to Pat Shermer. Um, and Dave Gettleman. So, you know, like he's got the no trade clause in there. Everyone makes a big deal about it. If he wanted to be traded, he could waive it, I'm sure. Uh, or they just outright, you know, release him and let him, you know, figure out how to sign a contract with another team. But, you know, either way, I don't know that I see him necessarily going anywhere. Yeah, it's sort of hard to figure out. I feel like the Jaguars make some sense, but a year ago we were talking about Eli going to the Jaguars and it didn't materialize. But a year ago, we thought the Jaguars team was much better than it currently is. I think their last 16 games, they're three and 13. They started last year two and oh, and then everything went into the crapper. I don't know if Eli Manning is going to help this team. Nick Foles is better than Eli Manning. Gardner Minshew isn't quite, doesn't have the experience, obviously. I don't know if he's worse than Eli Manning. And it seems like, the Jacksonville Jaguars sort of two games into this thing are blowing things up too. So I don't even know where a landing spot would be. And maybe the, the Jalen Hurts comparison, at least in terms of standing on the sideline and hold, holding the clipboard that Brinson just made, makes more sense than um, than moving elsewhere. And as you point out, Brady has a family. I don't think they want to move to Jacksonville, for example, for, for six months. Also, I mean, I would add too, like, for a guy like Eli Manning, because I mean, you know, for Peyton Manning, when he, I mean, he, he didn't have a choice. He was cut by the, by the Colts. He was let go by the Colts and they did that big ceremony and Jim, Jim Irsay cried and Bill Polian cried and then got fired. Um, and, and Peyton, Peyton went to Denver, but like, if that hadn't worked out, we would look at it very differently. And the idea of Eli Manning, cause you I mean, I mean, you know, like once you get far enough from, from this game, like think about Brett Favre in Green Bay and all the all the stuff that went down there. Eventually, time heals all wounds. Peyton, people don't people still don't talk about Peyton's final year in Denver, where it's like you know that guy was toast, but he was winning with his mind, and they still won a Super Bowl. Like Peyton Manning will get credit for the second Super Bowl if Eli Manning goes to Jacksonville and just gets beat up to all to hell. It goes like six and ten with the Jaguars. 
Like that's going to be a lasting, I don't want to say taints a legacy or anything like that, but if that's the lasting image, it's like Jordan and the Wizards. It, they're kids. It's Joe, it's Joe Namath and the Rams. Right. I don't, who doesn't think about Joe, Joe Namath? played for the Rams? Yeah. Exactly. So no, maybe Jordan, it won't matter. <laughs> yeah. I don't, I don't know if that's a great comp. Favre in the, uh, Favre, even Smith in the Cardinals. How about that one? It's like there that. Like, He's out there like limping around. You're like, what are you doing, man? Just get, go play golf or something. This is sad. I mean, I, I just feel like Eli on the Jaguars would be depressing and in a way that I would soak up in a, in a Schadenfreude kind of way, but, uh, for Giants fans, not for Eli. Um, but, uh, I, I don't know if I want to see that. Does anybody else actually want to see Eli go somewhere? And if, and, and if he, get, there's no other contenders, nobody wants to pay that much money to take Eli Manning on as their like backup. Well, do the Jacksonville Jaguars even want that, right? I mean, they, one, they've already paid Nick Foles. And, you know, even though Gardner Minshew's in there now, Gardner Minshew's actually doing a pretty darn good job. And so maybe it's worth, you know, them trying to see what they have in this late round pick. And, and I'm not saying he's going to be the quarterback of the future, but if he continues to play at a high level and give them a chance to win games, which unfortunately they took out of his hands this past week, because I much would have rather him seen him throwing the football at the end of the game instead of seeing them trying to run the football. But nonetheless, um, you know, do they even want to bring him in to do this? You know, is that what this, is that the position this team's in? It seems like right now, given the issues with Jalen Ramsey, maybe they've got some other things on their mind or some other things they're more preoccupied with. Well, if you're going to segue to it, then I'm just going to take it and run, regardless of what Devo says I can or can't do. Jalen Ramsey wants a trade. What uh, what do you? I don't know what the the press conference, and I I don't think we can actually play it, not because we don't have audio technical like, capabilities. It's just because he said fifty. 5,000 cuss words. He just dropping F-bombs left and right on uh, on Jaguars.com. Thank God they didn't stream it on NFL Network. Uh, he, he kept saying the S-word over and over again. Um, but it was a uh, – I, I heard the phrase used like it was a real press conference. It was it was real. Like he, I mean, he, he was kind of letting it all hang out there. At the same time, he didn't say anything. What did he say? He's like, I'm not going to – he's like, I'm not going to give you guys the headline you want. It's like – well, you're sort of doing that anyway. You're basically telling us that you hate Doug Marone and that if Doug Marone's not fired, you want out. And maybe even if Doug Marone is fired, you want out either way. It was, it was very clear he does. What are you, he laughing at me? What, are you, what did I do? Just you bloviating right now. I, I just was floored by the coffee kicked in. I was just floored by, um, by the Jalen Ramsey press conference. What'd you think? Well, I think there begs the question that if you didn't want to be a distraction, why do you have the press conference in general? Um, I think a player in that position might be thinking to themselves, you know, I want to get out ahead of this or I want to basically provide some truth to all this because there's a thought that maybe he leaked out there that he wanted to be traded and he wanted to make sure everyone knew that it wasn't him, it was the Jaguars, right? And and whether or not he asked for a trade. Jaguar which, too? Do you say Jaguar? Jaguars. It's Jaguar. Okay, I'm not from the south. So I, I'm, Jag- I'm, I'm, I'm north of the Mason-Dixie line. We say Jaguar. Jaguar. Yeah, Breach says that too. I wonder if that's a, like a... A Middle East Ohio thing or something. We have Ryan. We have, go ahead and settle this. Ryan, how do you say Jaguar? I apologize, Brady. I say Jaguar. Jaguar. Okay. Ryan uh, actually says with... Ryan, Ryan actually pronounces Jaguar. He <laughs> yeah, drive, he, Ryan drives a hybrid Jaguar. Did you know that? Do you? Okay. Well, it's like good good for the environment. I could see that. I could see that. He's he's Don't very very you know conscious of things like that. Ryan, there's you. nothing that makes there's nothing that makes Ryan more proud than the fact that he drives like a 2010 Jaguar. It's his favorite thing in the entire world. It's, first of nine, all, Village Mobile. First, first of all, Brady, it's practical. Well, Second yeah. of all, great gas mileage. 
<laughs> well, I was going to say fuel uh, economy, something in which you don't care about at all, Will. You're just tearing up this environment for everyone else saving their carbon footprint. You know, footprint. Forget the gas, Brady. It's the hairspray. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, anyway, yeah. anyway, so Jalen Ramsey wants a well, trade. He, he, he wanted to make sure people knew that he didn't leak it out. And that's, I, I like I, that was the only thing I really took away from the press conference. Uh, because I do think he asked for a trade. I do think he wants a trade. However, you guys tell me if Jacksonville came up and said, notice I skipped Jaguar. If Jacksonville came up and said, here's this huge contract that resets the cornerback market, the one you've been asking for, you tell me, would he be happy staying in Jacksonville? Cause I think he would. It's well, funny you bring this up because we talked about this yesterday on the podcast and Brinson came out with this idiotic hypothetical. Uh, about how you could send Jalen Ramsey to the Dolphins, and if you pay him enough money, he would be fine in Miami, even though he clearly hates losing and playing for an organization that doesn't seem set up to win. So, uh, Brinson, I'll let you take over and see if you want to propose this idiotic hypothetical to Brady and, and get his take on it. Well, I, we were talking about teams that could trade for Jalen Ramsey. Um, tra- and uh, by the way, I hope J- I hope Brady gets assigned to like a South Alabama game in, in the future. It's like you just you just can't say Jack. You're like paranoid. You can't say Jaguars. So it's like, like the South Alabama. <laughs> yeah, exactly. By the way, uh, uh, in case you're looking for this, just side note: quite possibly the worst PAT attempt we've ever seen in the history of football. This past weekend from South Alabama. I don't know what the hell that kicker was doing. He literally duffed his foot on the ground. The holder barely got the ball up. Then they both panicked because they didn't know what to do. And next thing you know, the other team was taking it down the field for a two-point conversion. The holder actually saw the ball fall down, and then he put his hands up. And then the kicker put his hands up like, I can't make the ball stand up by itself and kick it. And they get blasted. Yeah. yeah. Anyway. So, anyway. Um, uh, so we were coming up with teams who could trade for Jalen Ramsey. And the usual suspects were there. The Cowboys, although Jalen Ramsey said he wouldn't play for them, so you can strike them if you want. But the Eagles, the Seahawks, uh, I still think the Patriots are in play because Bill Belichick is not afraid to chase elite defensive backs, even though he's got a great defense. Um, we also had the Chargers. The Chargers, yeah, the Chiefs, uh, because the Chiefs need help on defense. Derwin James is in L.A. I don't know if Tom Telesco would do it. Um, the 49ers are an interesting team to watch out for there as well. But then I just threw out that the Dolphins, with their multiple first-round picks, could conceivably offer two first-round picks. These would be the Texas pick and the um, uh, the Steelers pick. And um, offer them to the, to the Jaguars and say, hey, look, Jalen, I know you don't want to come to Miami. We're going to give you $18 million a year. That is $3 million more per year than the top cornerback makes in the market. Come on down and be the face of our franchise as we rebuild in Miami. What does he say? Uh, sure. I'm sure you'd be excited about that contract. However, I'm sure that contract would be being offered by all those other teams who are swooning him or, or looking to trade for him. Um, I just don't know that that, that fits within the philosophy uh, of what the, the Dolphins are trying to build, right? You just didn't so accumulate all these picks to all of a sudden give them away and use some of your cap space for a cornerback. I mean, for starters, you know, they've already got Xavier Howard. Uh, he's pretty good cornerback. You know, could they use a Jalen Ramsey? Of course. They could use a lot of things, but it seems like they'd rather do that the cheaper way by building through the draft and kind of build up this team with a bunch of youth similar to what we're seeing the Cleveland Browns doing. So I think for that standpoint, like it just wouldn't make sense with what they just did and what they're, I think, trying to do as they move forward these next couple of years. Um, you, you know, but, Again, it's hard to turn that, that that amount of money, and obviously that's ultimately what he's looking for, a huge signing bonus, a huge contract. And if the Dolphins were the only team to be able to offer that with that sort of compensation, it's kind of out of his hands. If the Jacksonville Jaguars want to trade him, 
and they'd have to trade him unless he just tried to say, yeah, you've got to make, you know, you've got to, you know, allow me to negotiate a contract there with them because otherwise I'm just going to hold out or I'm not going to play once I get there. So the, what do you think about the idea? Cause you know, I, I thought we had an interesting topic. Uh, I keep it was probably during the preseason because we were talking about a holdout, Brady, but, um, you know, I was like, yeah, Brady, you had a holdout. You're like, actually, I never held out. Uh, I, back when you were drafted, 2007, right? Did we say that earlier? Uh, 2007? 2007. Yeah. Like the only, the only articles on the NFL in 2007 online on major sports sites were AP copy that were distributed across all these major sports sites. And then they'd have like a couple blowhards at like the, you know, CBS or Fox or whoever. Be Prisco. Be Prisco. <clears throat> Who would, uh, who would spin up an opinion column if they felt like it, if they felt like working for a day, uh, you know, for a change. Um, it's true. Look it up. And, uh, actually you can. I think our CMS destroyed it. Anyway, um, I think it's fascinating how ne- then you didn't have a choice. And like you had Tom Condon as an agent who's a really, really good agent. And even you, a first round pick and Tom Condon could not change the narrative of how something was perceived publicly just right. because of what was delivered in terms of information. It was the AP. It's coming from the teams. Roddy White talked about this on our, on our telethon. I just think it's interesting. Now, do you, are you, what do you think about the way this has changed in terms of player empowerment? Like Jalen Ramsey can go to the Jaguars PR and say, Hey, Tad, I want to, pr- I want a press conference. 2.30, Wednesday. We're going up there. You and me, I'm going to answer questions about my thing. And he's, and then if like, and then if it went wrong, he could just go get on Taylor Lewan's podcast. And could or start tweeting or Instagramming. Like, what what are your thoughts on on the ability of players to shape the message and to sort of control where they might want to go in the future for the NFL? Well, I think as we've we've seen, there's more opportunity for them to shape the message or just communicate, you know, to the general masses. Players are trying to use this to their advantage. Um, and I think before, if you were going to go about doing that, and I also think, you know, just from the player side and, and talking about the conversations you have with your agent. You know, they weren't accustomed to it, right? So they were just like, well, don't say anything or don't talk to the media or don't, you know, try to put out a message because you don't want to upset the team. You know, that's how much leverage the team has ultimately. And so now, even though there's this perception that, well, yeah, the player can speak his mind and do whatever he wants and and forces, force the team's hand. It's like, okay, to some degree, but really ultimately you have to do the same thing that you always had to do. You had to miss time. You know, if, if the Browns weren't answering your call when you're trying to negotiate your rookie deal, um, which is, you hadn't agreed upon terms, even though people inaccurately portrayed as a holdout, um, you I, can't I like do much you, about it, right? Like the yeah. Browns are holding you at hostage because they ultimately have to be the ones to come to you with the agreement and you have to, you know, come to terms with that. And so, you know, even, even in this case with Jalen Ramsey, if a team comes in and says, yeah, we want to trade for him, now they can always say, well, we're, we're not going to, you know, go there if we, if you do trade or I'm not going to play for you once you get there. So what do you have to do? You have to hold out. That's the same position that players have always been in. They always will be in. Uh, and what they, and so what they have to do is they have to be able to deal with all the additional pressure and blowback they get from doing that, right? Like back in the old days when you said, well, there's only the AP wire and then a few people read an opinion. Well, you didn't have to deal with, you know, quite as much media pressure. Now it's everywhere. I mean, so just as much as you can use that as a tool to help you get your message out there, it still can be a tool that's used against you with teams and with everyone else out there who's going to tell you what a jerk you are for holding out and not wanting to play for their team or wanting to get a contract to get paid more money. Um, and so it kind of works both ways. And I, and I know there's, there's a, this perception that, like, well, players are getting what they want. Did Melvin Gordon get what he wants? No. I mean, he's still waiting on all that. I don't think that the times of social media or player empowerment, whatever you want to word it, 
has helped him get a better deal. I mean, Zeke held out. He did have to do it the old-fashioned way. Don't show up and, and try to see if you can eventually force um, the team and all that to come to an agreement. You know, that's you know you, you can say whatever you want to the media and all that, but the other thing you have to realize with, with now the way the news cycle is, you can say something on Monday and it's forgotten by Wednesday or Thursday, or there's a new spin on it by then. Um, and because everything happens so fast, it turns over so fast. So I don't necessarily know that that, you know, bodes well for the empowerment of, of players in this whole scheme. You still have to go the old fashioned route of holding out, not playing and threatening for them not to have your services. Quinn, Colin, players are weak. Don't worry, Brady. You'll be gone by Thursday. Exactly. Um, the, <laughs> the, uh, no, it is. Aren't you glad that after all these years, I mean, it's been like 12 years, you've been holding this grudge about with the media and you finally have this. Huge platform with which to, to, to write the ship and to, to make it, to make history, right? The pick six podcast with which to say, I never held out. Damn it. It, it, it didn't feel good. Hey, well, Brent, again, it's like people don't understand, you know, when you go through negotiations, uh, one, the technical terms that are brought along with it, but you know, it's not like I didn't want to be in camp and practicing and playing and competing, you know, but you know, based on where I was drafted, based on, you know, previous first round picks, you know, Braylon and Kellen, and other guys there, they had a pretty good idea. It was probably going to be tough to get my contract done, and they obviously valued uh, communicating with Joe Thomas and his agent and getting that done, and then eventually trying to work out mine. But there became points where it, uh, it became difficult because they weren't responding, you know. And I think, you know, to be fair, I mean, they were trying to figure out what they had and what they're going to go in the season with. The old school thought then was, you know, you you sit the guy until. Um, you know, until further on, once the rookie draft salary pool has kind of changed, now they rush to get guys in. Back then, they'd always want to sit them for a year and then eventually let them go in and play. I mean, that, that model has changed completely. Um, and so that was just kind of more how it was back then, different than how it is today. Uh, all right, we're going to take a quick break, and then when we come back, we'll talk about 0-2 teams, including one team, the Carolina Panthers, who may not even have a quarterback by this time next week. The all-new Hyundai 2024 Santa Fe is equipped with everything you need to break free from the dull work week and embark on an adventurous weekend with your family. The all-new Hyundai Santa Fe's features like available H-Track all-wheel drive, standard third-row seating, available dual wireless charging pads ensure you can take on any adventure. Available H-Track all-wheel drives so you can take on the dirt trails and kick up some mud. Standard third-row seating so your whole family can experience the thrill together. Available dual wireless charging pads so no one gets stuck in the great outdoors with a dead phone. Whether you're tailgating out in the dirt lot, Carter Finley, shout out Carter Finley, or whether you're whitewater rafting, taking the entire family on an adventurous trip, maybe you're out camping at Mount Rogers. I used to go as a kid, wish my parents had a Hyundai Santa Fe. The Hyundai Santa Fe is perfect for your family outing. Learn more about the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe at HyundaiUSA.com. Call 562-314-4603 for complete details. Robert Half Research indicates 9 out of 10 hiring managers are having difficulty hiring. If you have open roles, chances are you're feeling this too. That's why you need Robert Half. Our specialized recruiting professionals engage with our proprietary AI to connect businesses of all sizes with highly skilled talent in finance and accounting, technology, marketing and creative, legal, and administrative and customer support. At Robert Half, we know talent. Visit roberthalf.com today. Well, all right, time to break down some 0-2 teams that could make the playoffs. 
Before we do that, I want to point out two things. One, if you're listening to this podcast and you want to see us talk on video, the power of internet television or whatever the hell you want to call it, go to youtube.com slash CBS sports. Watch us there. Two, make sure and rate and review the podcast. And people get mad when I ask for reviews. Come on, hook us up. Don't you want to see us skyrocket at the rankings? We all jump on this rocket ship and ride it off into the sunset together. Uh, and then three, if you don't want to help fuel the rocket ship, I'll just take all the tickets I have on the Panthers, uh, winning the division, winning the Super Bowl and all that stuff and uh, light them on fire. And that's how we'll turn the rocket ship loose because it appears that Cam Newton is in a bad spot. Um, Tuesday afternoon, the Panthers put out a, an article on Panthers.com and it's like, it's like, uh, Cam, it's like Cam Newton is not at practice. Blah, 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 blah. Ron Rivera will have an update at 2.30 p.m. And it was, Brady, the ultimate, like, ominous sign that something is very bad with Cam Newton. The line came off in Vegas. It was Panthers minus two and a half. It was a, 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 they're at Arizona this week. It was taken off the board. It is still off the board. No one knows what Cam Newton's status is. Ron Rivera, who said that his foot was perfectly fine after the Thursday night loss to the Buccaneers, said that it was probably probably part of the problem with his mechanics and out of it cam there is quote no timeline for cam but that he is also quote day to day uh how would you read into this completely vague completely nonsensical uh explanation of what's going on with cam newton well i think he re-aggravated an injury that he had in the pre the third preseason game right his left foot and the reason why that's important for a right-handed quarterback is you know that's the foot that you're driving to transfer your energy to so you're pushing off your back right foot then you got to land on your left foot. And if you've got an issue on that, as you deliver the football, you're going to pull off a little bit. So it's probably going to impact you mechanically a little bit with some of your accuracy. It may even cause you to airmail some balls because you're not following through the throw to snap down on the football. So um, there's obviously some mechanical issues that it can create if you're playing hurt or injured. We already know he's coming off of a shoulder surgery that he was. he's trying to clean up some of those mechanics. i got to be honest with you, though. Before he even... Uh, got to that Thursday night football game where supposedly this injury was re-aggravated. I thought week one, just watching him throw, he was still trying to get accustomed to how his shoulder feels now. It wasn't anything necessarily mechanical. I thought he cleaned up a lot of his footwork issues last year uh, under or under Neural Turner for his first year with him. It was more of you know just getting a feel for. You know, the type of distance and the touch on some of the throws. I mean, he was missing Greg Olson in the flat on a bootleg to his right, which is a gimme for every quarterback. I mean, hell, high school quarterbacks would probably hit that. Um, there were times when he threw to the outside, uh, and he would just airmail a ball or be a little bit off. And, and then there would be times where he'd throw a strike and a great ball. So some of those inconsistencies, I think, have come in lieu of him trying to figure out how his shoulder feels. And it just, it takes some time coming off surgery. Anytime they open you up and, you know, they're trying to fix some things. There's going to be a little bit of wear and tear that ends up getting damaged in there too. It's going to feel different when you come back around. So I think that kind of part of that has played into how he's looked thus far this year because he hasn't looked right. Uh, and I, I do think a lot of the hits and the wear and tear over the years are starting to add up at this point. But as, as much as, you know, you're probably concerned about Cam Newton and the O2 start and how he looks, I'm sure Ron Rivera is concerned too because this team now, if you look at it, at least in the past 10 games is 0 and 10. Remember, they lost their last day last year. They started off 6-0, and went 2-8 and down the stretch, if I'm not mistaken. So however you want to put that stat. Uh, but they are struggling right now with the way this team's played. I, I believe they actually beat the uh, Saints in weeks. Not to not calling you out. Oh, is that the Kyle right. Allen start? Yeah, they beat the Saints. Yeah. The, the Saints uh, started Teddy Bridgewater 
And so they won like 33. They have, I actually have it in front of me. They won 33. Yeah, Al actually played well in that game, by the way. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, but yeah, yeah. I mean, they should be, they're, they're, but last no, but you're win. right, Will. That one win will probably save the, the pressure being on Ron Rivera for all the losses they <laughs> suffered last no, 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 year no, no, and, no. and, and I, this year. I'm just trying to save you from well actually tweets. People are like, yeah, didn't you know they won a week 17 when you can get well actually by me on the podcast? Isn't that more fun? No, right. Um, exactly. the, the irrelevant last, week 17 game they won. My apologies. I'm not criticizing you, Brady. I'm just pointing it out to the viewers. It sounds like you are. Yeah. I, I, mean, I you know me. I personally don't care about Twitter, but you are on there very often, Will. I, I am on there a lot. By the way, you mentioned Zeke Elliott and like player empowerment. Can you imagine reading his mentions like full of Cowboys fans? Like, where are you at, Zeke? How come you ain't come back to play football for How's Jerry? Cabo? I'm coming down there to have a, some tequila. Do you want some too? I'll, I'll fight you right there in the sand, Zeke. I don't care. You need to get back and honor that contract you signed. Um, I got, people got mad at me for my North Carolina redneck impression. I can't imagine Texas people like that one. Hey, Ryan, how come your Steelers ruined Cam Newton's life? Way to go, buddy. Oh, yeah. That was, that's going to end up being the highlight of the last year and a half of the Steelers, uh, the way this thing's going. Uh, I do want to point out something. Kyle Allen made that one start. He's got one more start. He looks like he's going to make his, his second start this week. Behind um, Kyle Allen is Will Greer, and Brent has talked about this before where fans have already started calling for Will Greer going back to the preseason. He was not great in the preseason. He was a third-round pick. He was not great at the senior bowl when I saw him there. He was not great at a lot of the workouts. He had a great year, uh, great two final two seasons in West Virginia, but that has not translated. And what I'm getting to is, uh, thanks for asking, Brenton, my mock draft coming out Wednesday. And the Panthers That's may be right. taking a quarterback in the first round because Will Greer ain't the answer. We, we've talked about this. Cam Newton could be gone next year because his contract is such they can get out from under it if he's not healthy. And, and you know, then you can talk about where he might end up when, once he gets healthy. But if they clear house, Rivera's gone, they move on for Cam, whoever comes in next might want a quarterback, and that quarterback might have to come in the first round. By the way, I was cheering for your mock draft, not for them to draft the first round quarterback next year and replace somebody. Him. Somebody gift that Brady cheering, I was cheering for, for Ryan's mock draft. I'm excited to see who he's going to have because there's another quarterback that's going to be taken over for one team that you didn't have them, but someone else had him ranked as the number one in that class. It was a little bit surprising, <laughs> but we'll get to that at some other point. No, we're so. actually going to get that, get into that too in a second. But it's Ryan, go time, Brady. <laughs> it's go time. Uh, it's either going to go really well or really poorly for somebody. Um, no, uh, anyway, we're, before we get to the Steelers, we'll get to, uh, the Panthers, who I was going to have before this news about Cam Newton's future being in question came out as the number one 0 and 2 team to make the playoffs. And the reason. Of course the, you would. There's no bias there, by the way. Go ahead. There's no bias. The, the, Drew Brees is out for six plus weeks. Jameis Winston is Jameis Winston, and the Falcons look like, as Ryan likes to say on this very podcast, doo-doo. I mean, how does Carolina look? I mean, think about how bad they were in the second half of last year and then into this year so far. But yet, but you if think- Cam, but if Cam's not hurt, they, I mean, they have lost two scores, but they lost two games by one score games. Um, Brinson. Brinson. Yeah. Who, Get a who grip, better. man. Get a grip. Who played better? Brady, let me ask you this. If you had to pl- have this quarterback for week four, would you have Jameis? Or Cam Newton prior to the news we found out about his foot, based on the what we saw last week. Oh, Jameis. Thank you. I, I mean, I was we just being based, real about it. Based on the news, I mean, if Cam is hurt, yes, Jameis. But if Cam, if we thought it was Cam's shoulder and he was adjusting to it, if look, if Cam has some list Frank's fracture, it's going to be a problem. Instead, by the way, I've pivoted and moved the Panthers down to four because the uncertainty involving Cam and his shoulder and his foot. And you guys being jerks. And I've moved the Steelers to number one. You know why? Because I'm taking all my chips and I'm shoving them in on Mason Rudolph. What do you think, Brady? Um, it's interesting. I mean, look, 
we're joking about, you know, some, some past, um, you know, quarterback draft rankings. Look, Mason Rudolph was a really good quarterback at Oklahoma State. He was prolific. I think he threw for like 4,900 yards his last year, 13,000 or over that in his entire career there. There's no doubt he can get the job done. The, the issue came with the comparison. Someone had compared him to Dak Prescott. That was his quarterback. Well, Chris, well, Chris, well, Chris, it could be Chris Trapasso, one of our draft guys who had him compared to Dak Prescott in terms of the draft. <laughs> But like, which became laughable because Dak Prescott rushed for almost a thousand yards per season. He was a true dual threat quarterback. That's adjusted. Like you went from a prolific passer to a dual threat. Just none of it made sense. That was where the inside joke kind of came from. Nonetheless, uh, look, they obviously believe in Mason Rudolph. That's one of the reasons why they traded for Mika Fitzpatrick and gave up a first round pick for him. So uh, they knew they needed help in the secondary, and if they can help out with teams scoring less, maybe Mason Rudolph can can be the heir apparent to Ben Roethlisberger. So. Mm. Brian, what do you think? Uh, I know you're uh, you're the dude. I'm, I'm I'm biased. I went with your team, jerk face. What do you think about the Steelers making the playoffs after starting 0 and 2? What are the chances? Well, we're in this predicament because you picked them to go to the Super Bowl. That's how Big Ben got hurt to start with. So don't act like you're doing me a favor. I will point this out though. I absolutely love the Minka Fitzpatrick trade because if you watch the second half of that game against the Seahawks, the reason the Steelers lost wasn't because of Mason Rudolph, who actually played a little bit better than Big Ben, and I think Ben's arm may have been hurting. Even last week, it sounds like it was because the defense couldn't stop Russell uh, Russell Wilson. And look, finally credit to Brian Schottenheimer for throwing the football for once. It actually worked in his favor. I don't know why he hasn't done it before. But I feel like if if you get beat constantly in the slot, like literally every time you take the field, why not go out and get the best slot cornerback uh, slash free safety and and put him on the field immediately? It sounds like he's actually going to start making Fitzpatrick in week three, which is sort of funny given that, that tells you how terrible the the situation was there. And here's the other thing, and people are like, well, it could be a top 10 pick. It very well could be a top 10 pick, but they're not drafting a quarterback. As you point out, Bray, they love Mason Rudolph. They had a first-round grade on him. Big Ben says he's coming back. And also, it, is Mickey Fitzpatrick, would he be the best DB in this draft class? 100%. If, yeah. if you're talking about guys that go in the top 10 as defensive backs, probably Grant Delpit, probably Christian Fulton. Beyond that, you're sort of grasping the straws, and but you know what you have in Mickey Fitzpatrick. So I'm fine rolling with that, giving up the 2020 first-round pick, helping Mason Rudolph now and – presumably helping the rest of the, uh, the Steelers for the next three or four years on a cheap rookie deal. Right, and that's going to be a huge piece of it. Can I make a case for the Broncos, though? I mean, look, call they me crazy. Me. I was about to set you up, but you did it anyway. So roll well, with yeah. it. I, I like the fact that you put them there because even though it's a tough division, right, the AFC West, we know Kansas City's really good. They're a 2-0 team. We know uh, that the Chargers are a good team, even though they lost this past week. They're 1-1 right now. The one thing I could say is we know they've got a really, really good defense. I think – you know, as this offense continues to evolve and it's, and it's getting better, even though Garrett Bowles really struggled last week with the penalties and just handling Cleo Mack, which he's not going to have to do again. So I think they're going to be okay. Uh, I do think that team could maybe creep their way back into the wild card playoff picture. I mean, look, their schedule's not that difficult. And when you look at the AFC wild card picture right now with some of the injuries of some of these teams, I mean, look, the Steelers are a question mark. We don't know what Mason Rudolph's going to be able to do. You start looking through the rest of them. Like, do we expect the Bills maybe to be a wild card team? They're, they're setting themselves up to be that right now, but we don't know how that's going to work over the course of the year, if Josh Allen's going to continue to progress. So there's a lot of question marks, I think, in the AFC outside of New England and outside of Kansas City, in my opinion, being the top two teams. And, and then I think you look at maybe like the Chargers are in that conversation. 
And outside of that, like, I don't know how many more teams you feel that confident in. Maybe Baltimore, but do we think that's going to remain? I mean, there's, there's just a lot of question marks. So I think it's fair to maybe even throw Denver in there. The experience at the quarterback position and offense that's improving. And then obviously two of the, the best edge rushers we've seen in the NFL with a good defense. So I did this, I did this, uh, own two team breakdown last year and, you know, I, I basically went back and looked at historical trends and teams that had come back to make it because as of last year, it was 10 of 91, uh, but leading coming into 2018. And now it is 12 of 98 teams that have, that have done it since 2007, right? Could we, could we do make it easier to, for, for you to digest since 2012, 10%. every year there's been a team that's been 0 and 2 that's come out and made it in the playoffs. Right. The, the 10% rate, typically speaking, there will be one team that will make it right. last year too. I nailed both of them. No big deal. I'm not. Bragging or slapping, you know, pat myself on the back here. Actually, I can physically do that in front of everybody. I can pat myself on the back. How do you like that, Brady? Um, anyway, the Texans and the Sea, the, the Texans and the Seahawks from last year, though, both fit into the mold of the, the, the categories that I had looked at. And those are, do they have a franchise quarterback? The answer is yes. Russell Wilson, Deshaun Watson. Do they have an experienced veteran coach who knows how to win? You can rip, we can rip Bill O'Brien all we want. He's won a lot of games in, in, in Houston. Pete Carroll obviously qualifies. Um, the other thing was, could they see a big explosion in scoring off of what they'd had in the first two weeks? They both saw a, a seven points or more per game increase in terms of their scoring. They both finished in the top half of DVOA in defense. That's important. You got to have a, a good defense at the end of the year. And then one of the other things too is like, who do they play? Right? Cause the Seahawks played the Bears, uh, and we didn't know the Bears were going to be good at the time. Um, the Texans played the, they had the Patriots and, um, Let's see, the Seahawks had the, the, the Bears and the, and the Broncos, and the Broncos finished six and ten, but they were a pretty good team, better than the record. And the, the Texans had the Patriots and the Titans finished, you know, combined 20 and 12. Uh, so I think the, I think the, Bron- in that sense, the Broncos qualify, I think, because I could see their offense improving. They've, I don't, I don't tend to put too much stock into that late, weird Monday night game in week one. They played poorly, but I thought Joe Flacco made some really nice throws in that game against Chicago, and especially in the second half. Like he was starting to look comfortable and let it rip. They easily could have won that game. They easily could have won that game. Dude, they were up with 31 seconds left and then the refs screwed them. They should have won that game. Now I'm all mad again about it and didn't get to complain to Sean. Lost some money on it. Yeah. My hair is about to, my wig's about to fly off. Um, the, uh, the other two, so like, look at the nine teams though. I think you can easily rule out the Dolphins and the Jets. That seems fair to say. Um, thank you, Ryan. No, in your... all seriousness, like, I mean, obviously if the Bills regress, I mean, if the Jets get back healthy, maybe there'd yeah. be a shot. I, I don't know. I mean, the Redskins, I think you, you rule out the Jaguars. If they lose Ramsey, honestly, that's the best player on the roster. Like, I don't, I don't know how you're fighting for them. The Panthers, maybe there's a shot, but the, the NFC South is so competitive. I just, it's what, hard to make a case the, for any of these teams. The what about the Bengals? The, I, I just, I can't, I can't see that. Cause if you're looking at that division, I think they're closer to, you know, being the fourth team, maybe third right now, looking at what happens with Pittsburgh and Cleveland. But, you know, they don't look like they can compete with the likes of Baltimore. Maybe that'll be different once they play this year, but uh, I don't know. The Bengals have two games. All right, Ryan, you're, you're a resident Bengals hater. They have two games on the road at Buffalo and at Pittsburgh. I mean, they would need to start winning right away. Arizona at home. At Baltimore, Jacksonville at home, at, uh, Los Angeles. I mean, it's a tough, it's a tough schedule. They needed to steal one of these early on. They gave up 41 points to Jimmy G, but, but it's possible that the 49ers are better than we think. Um, I think the offensive line for the Bengals is going to be a problem, but I would say too that like, if you look at the Jaguars and Redskins schedule, they fit the mold as a team who could have a better, both those teams fit the mold as a team that could have a better defense than we think at the end of the year, could score more points than they have so far, played good teams at the outset of the season. They couldn't improve their scoring. 
Do you think the Redskins and Jaguars will? I mean, I, I don't know. I'm not necessarily betting on that. Redskins are, Redskins are like averaging 24 points a game, so they probably right will not. Now, I think they're going to regress back to the mean. Like, take it easy on that. I'll actually like... say, uh, of the teams we're talking about, I've watched both Redskins games. They've been better than I. Now, look, granted, I thought they were going to win two games this year, so they've exceeded those expectations. I don't know how long you can sustain it because you're you're basically flying on Case Keenum remaining mediocre, and we don't know if that's going to happen. They don't have no weapons. Terry McLaurin's been a nice story. But I think of the list we're talking about, even more so than the Bengals, I can't let to say that, the Redskins might be a look, little better. Schedule though. So the, the Patriots are week five, but Bears, Giants, Pats, then Dolphins, 49ers? I mean, they could scratch together three wins in that stretch and be 3-3 three and three heading into week seven against San Francisco. That's not out of con- out of control. Maybe it's out of control. I don't know. I mean, you also have to factor in the fact that at some point Dwayne Haskins may take over this year. There could be a learning curve there. There could be some bumps along the way. So it's something you have to keep in mind. And by the way, too, at this rate, they keep losing running backs. Uh, Dwayne Haskins also may have to, to, you know, you know, double as a running back too at some point back there, given the rate that they're kind of struggling there. No, no, that's fair. And look, the reason why I, I wanted to get kind of greedy with the Redskins, but I, I firmly believe you're right, Brady, that uh, at some point, if they're 0-4, like if they lose to the Bears and then lose to the Giants, Daniel Snyder's walking in with a giant, or, well, a little short person axe, and he's going to smash the glass. He's going to say, play Dwayne Haskins right well, And that's the other thing is like, Jay Gruden, what's his job security? All of a sudden, if he ends up getting fired and they have an interim coach, then everything just goes down to the wayside. And you know what it is? It's a bunch of guys in a locker room who are throwing on life that's jumping overboard and saying, I just hope I get through this season healthy so I can move on to my next team. Because usually after a coach gets fired, there's a ton of turnover on that roster. They're going to be like, trade me to the Dolphins right now. Send me to Miami. Get me out of here. I'm just going to party in Miami for a few months. All right, very quickly, let's talk about Pete Prisco's power rankings. Uh, as I mentioned, Pete's been uh, writing for this website, CBSSports.com, for like 27 years now. He writes one thing a week. And then he complains about all the video he has to do. Welcome to welcome to 2019, Pete. It's called a job. Some of us still have one. Um, sorry, I don't know where that came from. Uh, anyway, yeah. just do your Pete Prisco complaining. Just do your impression of him because it's a I fantastic. I think these guys are wearing me down. I had to, I, I, it's unbelievable. I did six hours of video. I did seven <laughs> hits today. Are you kidding me? You're talking about football, bro, dude. That's pretty good. That's really good. So. uh Pete keeps the Saints at number nine, despite, uh, despite, Yikes. you know, having Drew Brees for the next month and a half or two months and, uh, moves a surprising team all the way up to number 11, the San Francisco 49ers. Which one of those rankings is more egregious, Brady? Well, I'm going to ask you guys because here's what he did. He had the, the Steelers a little higher on this list. And he dropped them because he injured a Ben Roethlisberger, but for whatever reason, he didn't drop the Saints. And I asked him about that. And he's like, yeah, I probably should have dropped them a little bit further. I mean, <laughs> you tell me, like, what is this Saints team without Drew Brees? Because I wouldn't say they're a top 10 team. I'm not even sure if they're in the top half of the league without Drew Brees as quarterback. Would you, that- Ryan, if the Bills and Saints played on a neutral field tomorrow, who would win? I'm going with the Bills. I, I'm all I'm I'm with Pete Prisco. I'm all in on, on um, Josh Allen. I do like the defense a lot. Ed Oliver, the rookie, is playing really well. But that's a really good defense. You guys may have heard Sean McDermott with William Mary, so I, I'm in on that as well. And by the way, the last time that Teddy Bridgewater started a football game, he lost to some guy named Kyle Allen. So it's not exactly like he's going to set the world on fire. And then you have to sort of figure out what's the balance between Teddy B and Taysom Hill. Uh, how's that going to work out? We know that Sean Payton once called Taysom Hill Steve Young. He's got Steve Young on the bench behind Teddy Bridgewater, so I don't know how much he believes that. 
And but I will say this though, once they get to their bye week, which is in three or four weeks, they have four straight games against NFC South opponents. So if uh, Drew Brees is back by then, and if he's fully healthy, and if he doesn't act like he's forty years old, a lot of ifs here, maybe they get back into it. But I'm taking the Bills in the head on uh, that matchup. I'll take that Bills in the matchup in New Orleans, Brinson. Um, I was going to talk about, as you look at the schedule for the Saints, I mean, one, it doesn't get really easier down the way. I mean, for Teddy Bridgewater, Taysom Hill, whoever, um, you got to go out to Seattle, play Dallas, and obviously Tampa's defense looks much improved. I want to touch on a team that he had moving up, the Niners, at number 11 in his spot. Uh, that's a team that's interesting to me only because they're 2-0 and right now, and I don't know if I'm buying it, and I think the reason may be the fact that I don't know that they've played the toughest opponents to start off the season, right? Wins over Cincinnati and obviously over Tampa. Uh, and then this week, it's not like they'll necessarily be tested. They get Mason Rudolph now starting for the Steelers coming to their house. Uh, and then, you know, the Browns after that. So it'll be interesting to see like what this team's record is. Cause I, I think a couple weeks from now, we might be looking at them as one of the best teams in the NFC. I just had a hard time believing that for some reason. Do, do you guys kind of see that being the case too? Like this team could get off to a really good start in the first half of the season, but I could see them kind of struggling as they get on to the latter part of their schedule, though they've got to play more NFC West games. I actually think that I could see the Steelers winning that game. Is that crazy? I, I, see, I don't think it's crazy. I mean, like, the one thing that the 49ers really have going for them right now, besides Kyle Shanahan's ability to scheme open receivers and get Jimmy Garoppolo easy throws, is a defensive line that looks like it's playing really well. And this is, I mean, again, right. this is why Ramsey makes sense on that list of teams they could trade for because it would help their secondary. Um, but the Steelers have a good offensive line. And the Bengals don't, and the Buccaneers don't. So I wonder if they're able to neutralize that defensive line at all, give Mason Rudolph some time some, to throw downfield. He can throw vertically. We know that. And, and the, the Steelers have weapons down the field. So I, I just I feel like Pittsburgh could go in there and win the game. Uh, am I? Are we? Am I? Uh, you buying what I'm selling here, Ryan? No, they're one in five on the West Coast under Mike Tomlin. Um, I don't know what's magic going to happen. I think, and Brady sort of hinted at this, and you did too, Brenton. Kyle Shanahan is a huge difference maker in this game. Uh, Keith Butler, the defensive coordinator for Pittsburgh, hasn't been doing a great job. I'll leave it at that. Kyle Shanahan has actually been over-managing, I feel like, and getting the most out of Jimmy G, more than we obviously saw briefly last year and in, in, in the preseason when people were really worried about it. Um, but if they get to 3-0, and you sort of have to take them seriously. And I think you're sort of leaning on the defense, and you have Kyle Shanahan doing those things that help Jimmy uh, G make easier throws. He's still missing some throws. Brady, how important is it to have an offensive coordinator like that as opposed to some guy who maybe just feels like he's, he doesn't – he maybe he's in over his head or, or whatever. You're relying solely on the talent of the players. You know, I, I think – you bring up a good point because Kyle Shanahan seems to do more with less and, and he seems to really put Jimmy G in a good position. I think that's part of the reason why people are a little bit concerned or curious to see how he's going to be this year and if he's going to be the long-term answer at the quarterback position because when you turn on the tape and you watch what they're doing, you're going, man, there's guys running wide open uh, and, and these aren't, this isn't necessarily the most talented roster. So, you know, for that reason, I think there's some questions about Jimmy G, but he's played well so far in the first couple of weeks. And I think he'll continue to do so if that ends up being the case. My concern is that offensive line you mentioned, um, you know, Joe Staley being out, that's going to hurt them, obviously. And, and as they start to play better opponents, I think it's, it's hard then to scheme up when you're getting overmatched, uh, in particular up front on the offensive line. Uh, but it's, it's hard when, you know, you can't win on the, those one-on-one battles. Eventually talent will take over. And especially once you get against some of the better teams, even teams within the division where Kyle Shanahan, for as good as he is scheming things up, so is Sean McVay. And you've got to play him twice a season. So, um, those, those issues start to arise when you have to go against the better talented teams when they still have good coaching staffs too. 
They uh they have the Steelers this they draw a little lucky stretch here at the beginning of the the year. They have the Steelers in week three, a bye in week four. Uh, the Browns who do not have a very good offensive line. Then they have to play the Rams on the road at the Redskins. Panthers who might be missing Cam Newton. Um, so they could draw two. You know, they could miss Cam and Ben. Uh, in that sense, which would be beneficial. Uh, the Cardinals are not going to be a freebie, but start, I mean, starting in week nine, it's Cardinals, Seahawks, Cardinals, Packers, Ravens, Saints, Falcons, Rams, Seahawks. That, you better get your wins in early, San Francisco. The interesting one about that is like the Saints at the end of it. You know, people keep talking about this injury to Drew Brees being six weeks. I think it's minimum six weeks. Like it could be a lot longer than that because people don't realize when you have surgery on your throwing hand and you've got to get back all that feeling and the strength. And I know it's, it's small and people think you can just pick up a football and start playing again. It doesn't really work like that. So uh, minimum six weeks, maybe longer. I mean, I had two pins put in my right index finger. I'd actually smacked it off of Marcus Stroud's helmet on a Monday night football game back in 2008. I uh, didn't realize that I had broken the, the bone at the top of the finger and then ripped off all the tendons in this top part until Wednesday of that following week. And then at that point, tried to play the next week versus Houston. Couldn't really control or throw the football um, and, and had to get the pins inserted and put in. They were in there for six weeks. Once they were taken out... Then it took a period of time thereafter. Where I was still gaining back strength, my dexterity, and and just feeling, which I still don't really have much feeling on the end of my finger, just from from inserting those pins in there. So it's it's something that it's it's not going to be that easy to come back from. Teddy Bridgewater is going to be the quarterback that's largely going to help get this team, you know, to the playoffs if indeed they are able to get to the playoffs. I just I know we're sort of running out of time here, but I do want to ask you about that because it's sort of stupid of me and. For not being like, hey Brady, you're a, you were a professional quarterback. What's it like? What's it like dealing with the the thing that I well, the thing that I get? Well, no, I was just gonna say, but like you mentioned, coming back from it, I think even after you get the strength back, how much is that gonna affect Drew Brees' ability in terms of accuracy and in terms of you know holding the ball, not fumbling? Um, I mean, all of that that feels like it's a sort of a ramping up process, right? Yeah, I mean, it takes time. That's what I'm saying. Like six weeks is the earliest thing they're saying, but you know, you still need time to throw the football and, and get back to, you know, getting adjusted to the new normal. You know, you're, you're like, my hand never felt the same after that because the way the ball would come off my finger. Um, wow. cause you couldn't feel it quite the same. And, and people are like, well, it's your right index finger. What does it matter? You're like, well, when it's your thumb and your right index finger, if you're a right handed throwing quarterback, it's the most important part of your grip on the football. Your thumb's going to help with guiding the football and your index finger as it rolls off and you pronate your wrist, it's the last thing that touches. You literally push off with it off the tip of your finger. So when you hurt either one of those two, you obviously impact not only your ability to grip, but your ability really to stabilize the football and control it when you're throwing it. And then as you release, the power and everything pushing through your index finger. Um, and so that's more of the concern moving forward is how long it's going to take him to, to either get adjusted to the new normal of how this, you know, his throwing hand, his thumb feels, uh, and just get back that strength and being able to control and be as accurate as he's accustomed to. So, you know, all those things are big question marks, I think, for this season for Drew Brees and as far as when he's going to be able to come back and be the Drew Brees that I think we expect him to be. Remarkable circumstances unfolding in the, in the NFC South in terms of like long-term future for Drew Brees, Cam Newton. Uh, who would have thought Jameis Winston might be the best quarterback in the division after, after two weeks? But well, I still take back. I know. Oh, just yeah. Although the kid, he threw a couple bad interceptions oh on Sunday God, night football, the, the my Eagles? goodness! I'm throwing to Austin Hooper, bro. What are you doing, man? You Dude, so, some some part of me felt like uh, there was a bus driving by and Steve Sarkeesian just got tossed underneath <laughs> it, and Matt Ryan was driving that. I was like, like this. I mean, he had a great statistical year last year with Sark, and then all of a sudden after the season, they're like, yeah, they want to go with Dirk Cutter instead. I was like, all right, see how that goes. Yep. All right. Uh, fortunately, we'll have Brady on every week. 
on the YouTube show now. Very exciting. Are you guys do YouTube every day? Not yet. We're waiting on uh, some technical difficulties involving somehow a millennial who can't set up a camera. Uh, anyway, not not Debo. It's Sean. Don't worry about it. Uh, we'll be back next Tuesday with the Brady Quinn Football Show. We'll be back tomorrow with uh, we'll be talking Heath. Uh, we'll get Heath and BMAC on for fantasy stuff. Thanks, guys. Talk to you soon. Explore the weaponization of rap lyrics in the criminal justice system in the new documentary, As We Speak, Rap Music on Trial. Now streaming exclusively on Paramount+. Plus. Head to ParamountPlus.com to try it free. Terms apply.